The OSS Cubed is back from February 25th to March 25th. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, February 25th, and it's bringing to the table over $15 million in guarantees over four weeks. Yep, that's $15 million, our most exciting endeavor yet, with three massive main events. We're talking three consecutive tourney series, and it all starts with Moss, our mini online super series, beginning February 25th. Then, on March 5th, our flagship OSS, that's Online Super Series, drops. And on March 19th, The Boss, the bigger Online Super Series. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. And with the weekly Million Dollar Sunday Tournament, it's something you can't afford to miss. Moss, OSS, or Boss? Whether you choose one or all, this is absolutely huge, and it's waiting for you at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 169 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com, and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash one hour. This episode and all other previous episodes are on the onehour.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for the show, then please email questions at onehour.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, you are back. How are you today? I'm good, Barry. Happy to be on here. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, as Part of the tradition of the OneOuter.com podcast, um, I remember someone, it was the guy that goes under Poke Rock, he said, I think it was him, he sent in the bingo, the One Outer and Ask Alex bingo, and it was Fizzy Juice, etc. And um, I think we can add, I think he actually mentioned it, talking about how sick we are and stuff. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah we've the changed last... that a bit. <laughs> yeah. We changed that a bit, but I'm bringing that back. Uh, the last few weeks, I've just been fighting some sort of like sinus infection, is what I self-diagnosed as. And I really don't like to go to the doctors if I can avoid it. Not because I've got like a fear of, of anything, but just because the hassle of leaving the house um, and making an appointment and going to somewhere. But anyway, I made a deal with myself. I said, if it doesn't improve over the next like five, six days, I'm going to get an appointment. And it's just lingered around. I mean, I'm fine, but I just, I've never, it's so weird. There's like pressure in my ears, behind my eyes, a real sort of deep in my sinuses, but my nose isn't running and my throat's not and stuff. And I went to the pharmacy and they were just like, um, oh, there's a virus going around just now, real sort of head cold stuff. Take this like nose spray thing and try that. And I've got these menthol crystals. So I've spent the past few days um, hovering over a hot bowl of water with menthol crystals in it and a towel over my head, inhaling it. And it gives me some relief, but then like an hour later, I just feel like pressure in my ear and stuff building. So, yeah, I've been fighting that. And it got me it got me thinking about how it's probably been even longer, maybe like three weeks, and you don't know what it is at the start. And I just started wondering, like, I wonder how many times throughout the year that there is some virus in you, but it's not got maybe even any real symptoms that you would think you were ill, like coughing, spluttering, runny nose, except sore heads, etc. But there is still some little virus playing with your body chemistry. You know, like how much of that plays into mood and energy levels and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you you wonder, like, oh, I just don't know what's up with me. Like, it could be undiagnosed little viruses that are just hovering around and they don't have any real symptoms and you don't you don't ever think that you know like when you're when you're not at peak health you you don't think of that you don't my i it's very weird you bring this up because i've had a generalized fatigue the last week or so and by the way when i say that i don't mean in the oh poor baby worry about me i'm Mm. fatigued thing I mean it in the sense of, yeah, this is something I'm dealing with every day. I wake up and I don't have the energy that I sometimes have when I wake up. And, yeah, that gets really annoying. You wonder, I tell people 
the proclamation, I never get sick. And the mm. reason I say that is a joke, because if you have somebody that has been waiting three weeks for a lesson and canceling them means you're going to tell them, hey, you know, when I told you three weeks and you paid me for it, I now mean six weeks. Now, you will find remarkable strength within yourself when the other option is telling someone that. And you start realizing very quickly, I'm not sick all that often. I'm just not feeling 100%. And nine times out of ten, you show up for the lesson, and by minute five, you go, you know what, I'm really glad I'm here. I'm really mm -hmm. glad I'm working with this. I, I get to be very selective with my clients now, all of them are just an absolute delight to work with. I really mean that. Uh, I think I've gotten really good at figuring out who's going to be a problem student and turning them down. And when I work with people, well, that's when I could take on students at all. I barely can. Actually, I haven't been able to take on anyone in a while. But uh, I'm usually good once I'm there. But there's some days it's a little harder to show up than it is for others. And I'm sure you know this as well, Barry. There's someone out or podcast you show up and go, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah, and there's others yeah. who show up and go, yep, uh, I'm going to let Alex ha handle this one a bit more today. Do does that make sense? Does that resonate? Yeah, um, I think it comes down to, you, you touched on it there, some days you get up and then you just have to do things, like you have deadlines to get done. And once those kick in, it's, I think there's a little bit of sort of adrenaline and momentum that sort of carry you over that line. But if it's something that you've been putting off or something that's not critical on your list or for the week or tasks that you want to get done, I think when you're feeling a little bit off, it's easy. And I'm quite bad at just putting things like that off. I'm not as bad as I was previously a few years ago, but sometimes I do go, ah, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll change that date on my calendar reminder thing on my phone to next week now, you know, and then... I've seen me do that, like, and then change it the next week, and then the next week, and then I go, God, I'm carrying this little thing, this dot around this calendar, and j just do it, you know, and like, you sit down to do it, and it takes 15 minutes, and it's done, I'm like, I spent weeks, like, jiggling that around, just because I didn't want to do it, you know, like a phone call to some, I don't know, company or that, that you just know you're going to have to deal with, and I, th I think going back to the point about just being sick, it's, it's hard when you don't know what it is. Like you say, if you're just feeling lack of energy and stuff. And I think everybody just now is quick to jump on, even myself, the last few years, like looking more at sort of mental health aspects and going, am I really taking care of myself there? You know, or, um, you know, enough sort of even analysis of that. And then I think on the flip side, people are too quick to overanalyze and jump in at that like, I don't feel like doing X today. Oh, I must be really depressed, or I must be down, or I must be, you know, anxious, etc. Whereas, actually, I just don't feel like doing it today. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think when you're sort of self-employed, like if you're a full-time professional poker player, you are as well. But I think it's it's really hard to do that with yourself and be okay we've touched on that again what we've not just touched on it we went into it in depth about the days where you go actually even on my day off i feel like i should be doing something i feel like i should be working or something and you know i i see it with people like they can't watch a film without thinking what am i doing like i've got stuff to do i whereas you gotta look at i look at it very much from the now well, if you take the two, two and a half hours to watch a film and that relaxes you and takes you out of your head for a bit, then I think that's actually an investment in the long term of your work and your mental health. If you're going to work 24-7 round the clock, have no recreation, good luck, I'll see you in a mental institution uh, in some sort of time frame. You know, you might last a couple of years doing that. You might last 10 years doing it. But eventually, you, you will crash big time if you don't have... Um, the relaxation and I, I kind of think I like to think viruses and little things you pick up are just your body's way of saying like okay you know you're going to get them but take it easy don't have to do that today or this week and put it off and I'm just blessed and happy that I work for myself and I don't need to 
You know, I've always said that, God, if you had some boss or you don't go in, if you don't turn up, you don't get paid, then when you feel ill, it's that is that soul-destroying, having to go into something, especially if it's something you don't really like doing anyway on a healthy day. And I couldn't imagine going into some office feeling like shit and then having to carry out that task. But um, it goes full, cir- full circle to looking after yourself in terms of what you're eating and exercise as well. And, boosting your immune system you know so i have many many thoughts on this now that you were i was just sitting here sipping my coffee listening to you and i just you really got me thinking maybe more than i have been about my situation recently or just the situation of a professional poker player to start with and i think that's what i get a number of emails and in those emails, most of the people say what's really fascinating about the One Outer podcast is talking about the mentality of playing professionally and doing things on your own for a living. And I think that's something that unites all of us. Uh, poker players tend to be, whether you're a pro or not a pro, you're entrepreneurial. And you are at least trying to strike it out in business in this one format. And oftentimes that carries out into others. And it might be something a little bit more innocent, say is fantasy football or daily fantasy sports. It might be something a bit more grandiose, such as owning real estate. But most of us have that thing together. And I think one thing we've talked about a lot that people really resonate with is the generalized anxiety, the feeling that you just described of, I can't watch this movie because it's costing me money. Whatever my hourly is, multiply that by two, and that's how much this movie is going to cost me to see. So if you think about that, would you go see a movie if it was $400? Let's say your hourly is 200 Well, probably not. But like you said, you can just ruin your life in this way. And it's funny, Barry, because I feel like you're on the side of, I'm going to take my time to watch my silly movies. And that's for my mental health. And I've been there before, and I'm fine with that. I think it's probably healthier, but I'm not doing it right now. And I'm wondering why that is. Like today, I was literally on the train this morning going to go lift weights. And I was thinking, I have to take tonight off. I have to take tonight off. I Two months ago, I, I said, I need to make X amount of money by this date, right? April 15th. Uh, I, I did this maybe two months ago. Yeah. So I gave myself three months. I said I have to make X amount. If I made this amount in three months, if you multiply it by four, it would equal the best years I've had in poker. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to make that money, but I really do believe the people who succeed in this life are the people that set insurmountable goals and then find a way to do it. Everybody who goes into med school thinks there's no way they're going to get past med school, and then magically they do. So I think, in the words of the Navy SEALs, if, you're, if, if you haven't collapsed, you have something more. And that's why they do, I think they call it Hell Week in the Navy SEALs, which is they make you stay up for five days uh, running drills. Because they want to show you, you have a lot more in the tank than you think you do. And if you don't have it in the tank, we don't want you. And I have an unhealthy obsession with that, and you were bringing up whether that's healthy or not. I'm not sure it's healthy because once I got home, I realized, wait a minute, I made a deal. I put out a deal for my online action, right? I took a nominal percentage. Other people foot foot the bill. I didn't do that because... I'm trying to make money playing poker. I don't make my money from playing poker anymore. I'm doing it for market research. I want to be studying tournament poker. And you know what? Quite frankly, I'm not going to play tournament poker unless I'm doing it for other people. I need to charge something. 
so I'm selfishly interested, but I I don't do it because I'm making as much money as I ever made as a pro, and it used to be very frustrating feeling yourself getting better as a poker player and not seeing the results. That was immensely frustrating. In realizing you get 113 hands per day, which anyone who's ever played online poker Zoom for 14 minutes and has played 100 hands can tell you you can run really bad in 100 hands. And you know what? You do that 10 times a year, and guess what? You've played live poker for a year. You've played Mm -hmm. 10 majors. And that's supposed to be the judgment of who you are as a player. And you feel judged by other people. You feel as if your worth as a human being within this sphere is decided by how you run on any given day. And you can let jealousy enter you. That's perfectly natural. You see people that don't work as hard as you succeeding. And that's immensely frustrating, which in this business I found something very logical, which was the harder I work in this business, the better I do. And I don't just mean financially. I also mean the more credit I get within the industry, the more credit I get with my students, uh, the more positive feedback I get, the more I excel in my chosen field. And I've gotten addicted to that process, perhaps a little too much, and I don't know where that line is to draw because I had, well, here's the crazy thing. I had this crazy financial goal. I set this goal. I said, you're going to move out of Newark because that's one of those things, like you said, you put it on the next week, you put it on the next week, the next week. Before you know it, eight months have gone by. Mm-hmm. And your girlfriend's going like, why, why do I want to be with a guy that doesn't want to get out of Newark? Right? It, and she has every right to ask that question. And I just set an insane goal. I said, I'm going to, I don't think I've talked about this on the show. I just, I'm renting an apartment in Queens. I just got that. Uh, and that's very expensive here because you have to, you have to do, uh, you have to pay the mm-hmm. broker. You have to pay the first month's rent, the deposit, etc. Here you have to pay one month's rent to the person who finds you the apartment. So, yeah, that's, uh, and I'm pretty sure if you guys heard New York prices, all of you would make fun of me like you did when you heard my New York price, which was actually way cheaper. And <laughs> uh, I also had, but it was, I was very fascinated by the fact, like, when I was put into this situation, I could do it. I I could do it because that was, okay, that was some of the money that was part of my financial goal. But a larger part of the money was when you start the process of a divorce, like, you spend, like, okay, you, you separate, and then you try to make it work for six months, a year, or whatever it is. Then you start the divorce, and that's like another year, or whatever it is, right? And every time you walk into the lawyer's office, it's like $2,000, right? And then you end up having to spend your money on that. And then it's not like the IRS let's say, lets you count that against your business earnings, right? Your divorce is your own money, right? So I had this amount of money set aside for... My taxes, like I do every year, and it just got swallowed up by the finalizing the divorce, right? Like, we hadn't been together for a very long time. I'd been living alone in my house, and you just, every, like, little thing costs money, so eventually you just, you just go, like, let's hurry this up, right? Like, and then... If you want to hurry it up, it costs money. And if you got to go through the courts again, it costs money. And then, so I was left at the end of the year. I knew I'd have a shortfall. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. But I thought, okay, you really got to turn on the turbo thrusters here to get this done, right? Because I don't like being late. I don't like that crap, right? The IRS has always been very good to me. And... Now that I know I can do it, there's a big part of me that goes, why don't I do it all the time? Why why don't I? And it's been nice, like, okay, on Friday I did the thing for Jonathan Little. Uh, I did Jonathan Little's hand history reviews. And on Monday I did the thing for Tournament Poker Edge. And then today I'm going to play poker. And it just, it feels like being a professional athlete 
and every day you get to put points on the board, right? Like, just every day you get to throw up three-pointers. And nobody can take that away from you. Variants can't take that away from you. But then they, I also get worried that this morning I felt fatigued, and I forced it a little bit. I, I said, I'll go lift weights. You lift weights. That gives you a little bit of energy. And then it's like, okay, I'll force it a little bit. And I worry, because you're a little older than me, Barry. Like it, you said, like you can do it for one year or two years or ten years. Are you headed to the nut house? Am I headed to the nut house? Mm-hmm. I, I wonder about that. I really wonder about that because what you're saying makes perfect sense to me. Like, uh, I watched, like, one hour of spring training baseball the other night, which is no different than, you know, you watching whatever with your fizzy juice, right? And uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it is like therapy, right? Sleeping eight hours a night is like therapy. And I think it's really necessary for the human mind to rest. And I think your best ideas come from a place of rest. And I want to be in that place. Gary V talks about it. I sleep like a baby. I got nothing to worry about. Right. So it's all just fun for him now, whatever he does every day. I want to be in that place where it's optional to work, but I will work because I just feel off when I'm not doing something. I feel like it's a, and that, that's something I really worry about is, uh, I don't feel right when I'm not working. I, I don't feel like, I can spend time with my girlfriend because she, you know, that's actually investing in something, like an investing in a personal relationship, but it's, uh, I, I get very worried about, like, where do you draw the line? Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think going back to your analogy of, you know, your hourly rate's $200, so you go and see a two-hour movie, it's cost you $400. Plus, then, but then what you do is go, well, hang on a minute. It takes you, say, an hour of getting there and hanging around and whatever before and then the same after. So it's really six, uh, two hours, four hours, you know, so it's really $800, say. Um, but you can't live your life like that. And I, I, even, I remember early in poker, a lot of poker players, and it was big poker players who were, millionaires through it and big so-called ballers etc that would always speak like oh you know we're playing this cash and we're going to this play bowling and we could be playing online and it's costing me you know 200 or 300 dollars an hour to play this game etc i think you really have to separate it by no every human needs recreational hours throughout a week as well that if you go, okay, I'm worth $200 an hour as a poker coach. Well, what are you worth as a human being then? It's priceless. You can't put a price on your life. If you get told that you've got two hours left in your in your life, then, you know, what are they worth? You know, and, and time's running out for everyone. So actually, it's just simple supply and demand. You're going to demand more hours and the supply's dwindling every year that you're on this earth of what you got left so in fact your life value dollars actually go up if you think about it in terms of whatever and now there's arguments for well hang on when you're 70 your years you know you could have did more in your 30s or 40s than your 75th year so that maybe is worth less that's bullshit tell that to a 75 year old that still wants to live that that year is not worth the same as that's all you've got, you know, or whatever you're hanging on. So I think it's really important from a sanity perspective, and actually if you're just being rational as well, that life's for the living. If you're just going to work 100%, you know, of the week and then beat yourself up every time you take that, that's not actually living. That's existing to produce money to what ends. And we've talked about that as well. It's you know for these guys that are playing poker and they don't have they're not in a relationship or they're still living at their mum's or and they they don't have goals about buying a house for a, or even renting a better place for themselves or traveling etc. They're playing against themselves. They're not taking the money off the table. They're going round and round on a hamster wheel and whichever site they're playing for is raking them and that's it. You know and. I think it's really important to get perspective in terms of you also have to have a life and you can't beat yourself up 
for something as you know is so no. necessary to go I'm, and not just see a film anything whatever your thing is you know you want to go fishing or whatever you should do it definitely well and on that point uh by the way, I totally agree with you on this, Barry. Like, I used to get a lot... I used to get a very hard time on the tour because I would bust the tournament and I'd go walk through the city. And I don't mean yeah. I took a tour or anything. I would just walk out the door. And I would walk. And that was one of my favorite things to do in the world was see how lost I could get. And then if I could get back to my hotel. And I did it every time because there's taxis all over the world. And... You know, I would walk in one time in Dortmund, Germany. I woke in, <laughs> I ended up, uh, ended up hanging out with this guy who was like, hey, ha hanging it, this Pakistani guy who hung out with all these skateboarders, and we all got talking. I was at some German guy's apartment uh, from till 6 a.m. just talking with everybody, and then, you know, I walked in at 7, and they were like, how are you going to play Sundays? And I was like, well, I'm not. You're skipping a Sunday. How do you call yourself a professional poker player? And to that point, I am still here. It is 2018. That was 2007. Pretty much everybody that was criticizing me at that breakfast table is not in the game anymore. Yeah. Now, I'd like to think they made their money and they left and they have a house and they're doing well now. But I don't think that's true. And I think a lot of them that did leave with their money, they found out it didn't. it's not going to retire them. And business is not that easy and they come back into the game four years later and go oh my god this is a lot harder than it used to be and they have a bit of a problem but there's that and on to your point barry uh lebron james gets criticized uh if i don't even know if you know who that is but he's uh yeah of course okay okay yeah well they just did a video of him like 15 years since he started in the league they showed a video of him doing the exact same dunk, and it looks exactly like he's still 18 years old. He gets a ton of criticism because he rests. There's certain games he doesn't play. And the old school basketball players like Michael Jordan go like, oh, that's, that's ridiculous, that's so bad, right? And it's like, well, it looks like he's aging pretty damn well. So there's something to, like, you think about it, you're a mental athlete if you're an entrepreneur, you're a mental athlete. An athlete has to rest. A real athlete is not going to push themselves till they get injured. And if you think you can't get a mental injury, you have not been playing poker long enough. You can get one. You can take a long time to come back from it, too. And, uh, sorry, you might hear the gremlins in the radiator there. But uh, there, the, the other thing, though, is I'm experiencing myself. I'm getting addicted to experiencing myself in a different sense, which is I feel powerful right now. I feel young again. When I'm lifting weights and I'm getting broader, like I don't, I'm not one of those people that just, thank you, Gremlin in the Radiator. The Gremlin in the Radiator really likes this speech, as you can hear. But uh, I'm, I just like the feeling of every morning getting stronger and feeling mentally strong. And now when people talk, crap with me i just don't even care there was a there was a sorry this radiator is driving me nuts hold on a second no, it adds to it. <laughs> it adds to it the construction work the construction workers are probably the ones in there the same ones from costa rica right yeah. but uh no uh the okay so i was on the path train coming back to newark this morning and this guy was sitting across from me and he was complaining to his girlfriend about how hard he works and how he's not getting anything out of it. And then he says, I even made a business profile and everything. And I was thinking, isn't that the first thing you should do? Like, you're, you're saying that like you want sympathy for something, but I don't get it, right? So anyway, I pull out my lunch, breakfast, whatever you call it, what I, what I ate after going to the gym. And it's a, it's a salad, right? And... The guy said, look at, you know, look at this organic ass, right? Mm. And, like, said it right to my face, right? And mm -hmm. was like, Shh. you know what I mean? And, like, the, my first thought, and I, I have the exact same thought now also when, 
there's some poker player that said, like, you know what, you had a really good career, and then you got hit once, and then you didn't come back, right? And then I just, my first thought is always, it's not enough. What you're doing right now, talking to me, mm-hmm. trying to put me down, it's not enough. You're worried about yourself. I am, I didn't want to be a touring pro. I admit that. I have never said on the show, how many times have I said, like, have I ever said, like, I'm a great poker player, I'm a great poker talent? Have I ever said that on this show, Barry? I'd need to check, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't think ever, right? I can, <laughs> I can play cards. I, I, I can play cards. I know this. Like, would I call myself a great player? Absolutely not. My work ethic is superior to almost everyone's. That is one thing... I am not modest about. And I love, this guy just started cussing me out on the train, and I started laughing at him because I'm experiencing myself in a different way, which is, your best, it's not enough. You cannot deliver, you can't do it. You're trying, and when poker players want to talk bad to me, you know why that is? Because they're insecure. And because I am still making a salary from this game, and by the way, I don't have to be on the tour losing my relationships, not seeing my family in order to do this. I can work the hours I want to do. I get to have a logical business within the career I love, within the profession I love, within the game I love. I get to do that. I get to experience that. And every time somebody says one of those things now, all I can think of is it's not enough. Your best, it wasn't enough. You had a simple mission. You didn't even have to be that good. Because I can tell you, I cannot tell you how bad at poker I am, Barry. I cannot tell you how much I struggle with this game. I cannot tell you how thick-skulled I am. How many times I've had to hear a concept 20, 25 times before I just started scratching the surface. But I showed up. I was there. It did not matter how tired I was. I showed up because I needed to know that about myself. I could not accept it at the end of the day knowing I didn't try. In this, you blaming me for your shortcomings, it isn't enough. What you're doing is not enough, and you feel that you're not enough. So I don't care. So I'm just going to smile here because I'm experiencing myself in the way that I have wanted to experience myself since I was a child since I felt powerless in the situation I was when I was younger. I like feeling myself like that. But like you said, Barry, it can become an addiction. It's an addiction just working all the time, if that makes sense. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It is an addiction, and you wonder when you're going to flame out. But it's, uh, yeah, well, we'll see. I'm going to have to mellow out at some point. I'm hoping it's coming. Just, uh... That's why you got to oh. save money, man. When you save money, you feel like you're just free rolling. Then you can do the real things you want. Yeah. Well, we're waiting to work you now with these questions anyway. Let's work. Um, Let's put in work. <laughs> Let's do it, Barry. Okay, this one is from Bob. A question I have is this. I am successful, profitable, in brackets, in both of my local leagues. However, every year when I play in the tournaments for the main event seats, I feel like I change my game or alter it too much. Last year in one of the two tournaments, I told myself I wasn't going to do that and blasted off my chips early. Do you have any advice for me? Uh, I have a couple different things that I think would help you, Bob. Uh, First off, realize it's a very long journey. Uh... Pretty much every poker player that you hear on TV who says, I'm really great, I'm doing this, they're all... Uh, <laughs> you you have to be in this game for a very long time before you know anything. And by the time you learn that you know anything, you realize how much you don't know. <laughs> so it's actually very normal to feel the frustration you're feeling right now, and that's okay. Uh, my guess would be Obviously, it's hard for me to know without watching you play. My guess would be in your local leagues, you're playing more recreational players. And with recreational players, a lot of the time, all you have to do is open all the time or open a good deal and see bet a good deal because they're not the type to re-raise you. They're not the type to float you on the flop. Uh, They're very often, if they're going to do anything, they're just going to call and fold to the flop. Not a lot of people want to get involved. 
a lot of those people in local leagues, they want to play specific hands, their hands. They very much play their hands. Once you move up to an open tournament, as it were, uh, where people voluntarily have to put up more money to enter, these are the people, usually you're not going to do that if you've never won something. And the people who have won something or have won their way in, they usually know the tricks that you're using, which is raising slightly more hands, uh, c-betting a little bit, you know, just banging on the right doors, seeing what happens. In these tournaments, I think you have to develop more of a three-betting game. You need to find the guy who's opening a little bit too much, and you got to isolate that guy. I still, I still struggle with poker just as much as anyone, uh, but the one thing I've noticed is if you can find the guy that just opens way too much and you keep isolating him, good things happen. Now, you said I blew off my chips and I told myself I wasn't going to do this. I, uh, you know, I don't play poker much. Uh, I think I've played six live tournaments in the last seven live tournaments in the last, like, two years. Uh, one was a WCP main event cash. The other was a WPT final table, and I just missed another WPT final table, right? Well, not just mess, but cut few tables out. All those other tournaments, uh, <laughs> I was out in a couple hours, <laughs> right? Because I'm trying to isolate the right guys, and you know, once you move up a little bit, they're not—they're throwing jabs, and you got to throw counters. You're gonna have to get in there and trade with them a bit, and uh, they're—if it doesn't work out, it, you know, you're you're up for a pretty quick exit right there. And uh, if you're up for a quick exit, it's better than stringing it out for – because what ends up happening is a lot of guys, they don't feel comfortable three-betting. So what they do is they'll open a little bit more selectively, right? And then what that really means is I'm going to knit it up. And then if they get a lucky double up, they barely make it into the money, but they can't really do much of anything. So – what ends up happening is you have a few more caches than the guy who's going for it, the guy who's trying to maximize his EV, but you're also not really getting much of anywhere when you, when you do cash. It sounds like you're making steps towards being the guy that's trying to win the tournament. I think most of you guys have another job, another, another way of making a living. None of us have enough time to play poker to experience the long run. So I think it's a better idea for you to play for that win just for yourself, for you to experience that. And I think the way you do that is by trying to maximize your EV. And obviously there's ICM situations where perhaps you have a plus EV call, but you shouldn't be calling off 100x with queens, right, if you know the guy is ace-king. But these, uh, these three bets... Uh, I discussed it a little bit. Uh, if you want to write me at alex at com, I can send you a video called Three Bet is the New Open. Uh, and I think a lot of these three bets like chop you out like a big blind, two big blinds, three big blinds. Or you can watch my video. Barry will post it in this, which is uh, poker's most important thing. And it'll show you a lot of my three bets like chop out one big blind, two big blinds, three big blinds. And they don't, it's not really strong hands. It's just targeting the right guy. Uh, the reason I can get those stats is if you're not opening some goofy, uh, if you're not opening suited aces, if you're not opening some suited gappers, some small pairs, stuff like that, uh, if you're not opening like unsuited broadways, I'm not three betting you. Uh, now, if you open the cutoff of the hijack live, I'm, and you're under the age of 35, I'm not buying that you're opening tight, so I'm going to three bet you. And if you're under the age of 27, you open anywhere, I'm three betting you. I'm coming after you because none of these people have a four bet. They just, it, all they have to do is four bet. All you have to do is open ace, ta ace 10. Uh, you have to open some aces and have a four bet bluffing range if you're going to be opening that much, right? And no, nobody has that anymore. Like, it, it just doesn't exist. And really, it shouldn't exist because people three bet. If you look at what people three-bet when they can't move all in, it's literally like tens, jacks, queens, kings, aces, ace-king, ace-queen, nine times out of ten. 
And one, like once in a while, they'll three bet a suited gapper. You don't want to be four betting that guy. The the last time I was thinking of doing a four bet with an off suit ace was WPT Prague, and I remember thinking this is a really weird situation. I haven't been in this in a while, and then you know it didn't happen. So the the guy who was time banking every time I opened folded. Which, by the way, why would you do that? Why would you tell me you're the weaker three better? I eventually got the guy on a four bet later, but uh. I couldn't, I, I, why would you do that? Is that just a, like, oh, don't you try that, bub? Don't, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm coming after you, but yeah, anyway. Um, I think my guess is that's what's going on, Bob. I, I hope these tips help you out. Okay. This question is from Xavier. Uh, hi, Alex. I regularly end up MTTs in the top 5%, but still get peanuts. Like in the mini Sunday Million, finishing 464th out of 10,489 players. Players tighten up in late stages. I have to wait for a hand, and when it doesn't come, I blind out. I'd really appreciate some advice in order to make it towards the last steps, get into more final tables. Thank you, man. Well... Let me give you my first thoughts on this matter, which is whenever I hear someone say, hey, I got deep in a poker tournament and it didn't work out, I always find that, and I'm frustrated with it, that that always (laughs) strikes me as very illogical. These are, I was reading a post by myself uh, eight years ago, because I'm the type of person who, like, reads my own post. No, it came up on Facebook memories, right? And it said, you know, seven years ago, I final tabled some full tilt major. And I said, I got third for 55K. Uh, Obviously, wish I won and sad I blew the chip lead. But again, let's remember, poker tournaments are glorified lotteries, and that's a lot of money, right? And Mm -hmm. I was really proud of myself reading that because we got to remember, guys, poker tournaments are glorified lotteries. There's some skill, but the number of hands you're going to get to play, and it's only going to be a couple hands at the end that really decide. There's usually some big flip that will have a great deciding factor in whether you finish 7th or 2nd, and there is a gargantuan difference uh, between 7th and 2nd, and you can get a number of those. We cannot take this seriously. I love tournament poker. I've had a lot of success in tournament poker. There's a reason I don't do this for a living anymore. This is a very lonely way to live your life if you're going to live by the swings, especially if you play live. Like, the long run will never... In in the words of that economist that Barry quoted, whose name eludes me, in the long run, we're all dead. And you just got to... Have fun with it. I think it's wonderful you finished in the last 5%. I think that's something to celebrate. And if you're consistently doing that, I think that's something we can improve upon. And that's great. But we can't follow, we can't fall for this fallacy of they do this all the time with people, which is if you get, if you got five out of six numbers on a lottery ticket as opposed to zero out of six numbers uh, and only a six out of six got you a total win, uh, would you be more frustrated or less frustrated than zero out of six? Five out of six versus zero out of six. And everybody gets really frustrated not realizing, like, the lotto odds are the exact same anyway. Like, just where you end up doesn't really mean much. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the fact you get a payout at all is pretty pretty fine. And you're talking peanuts. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, young man. I got to speak to you. Do you know what I used to have to do to play a poker tournament? I would have to go three cities over, go to some back room behind, uh, you know, like a check cashing place, and play there. And then I have to convince everybody I was 18. I had to get kicked out of casinos. The fact we get to play online poker, period, is pretty neat. It's a fun game. When you go to a movie, let's say you should, one of the things I'm teaching my recreational students is I go, 
if you wouldn't spend this amount of money on going to a movie, don't spend it on a poker tournament. Because when you go to a movie, you don't know what you're going to get. It's a gamble. It could be trash. It could be amazing. Everybody else might think it's amazing, but it's secretly trash, right? And only you're going to see it. It is a gamble. But you show up and you get the experience. And there's no chance you'll walk away with money. That's what a poker tournament is, except for you might walk away with a couple grand. That's kind of cool. But you have to pretend you're going to a movie. And that money's gone. You just have to pretend it's, it's like that. And if you get anything, that's great. Because the only people who are ever going to really succeed at this, they're playing 40, 50, 60 tournaments a day, and they're doing it six days a week. That's the only way I ever cut it. That's what... If you're not going to go that hard, don't, don't do it at all. And anyways, what you're saying is, like, people tighten up at the end of tournaments. I think this is a really good time to play what I call money ball poker. There's two different types of poker I play, which is... There's one in my head I've always... I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the One Outer podcast, but I, I'm always trying to... Uh, I'm always trying to get them with the dagger, is what I think about early play. And the dagger is the river. The river is worth more than all the other streets combined. The river is the big bet, and people are awful at folding on the river. They just can't do it. Okay, this is an anecdote I talk about a lot in my lessons. Uh, I learned about it from the Michael Lewis book, The Undoing Project which was the story of the writing of the book Thinking Fast and Slow. I think Barry's mentioned it before. Do you remember this book, Barry? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Barry nervously. Don't quiz me on it, but yeah. No, the Daniel came in. I've not read it. Kahneman. But, uh, yeah, Kahneman yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. Amos something. Although I think Kahneman just got credited for it. Anyway, he won the Nobel Prize for it. These were two Israeli guys who, you know, between wars wrote some of the most influential papers in economics and psychology. One was a psychologist, if I'm getting this right, one was a psychologist, one was an economist, and they used data science to figure out what kind of decisions the typical human makes. And what's fascinating about it, as one person put it, I, I don't remember who said this, what's fascinating about it is not that human beings are irrational, but they're systematically irrational. There's a rhythm there's a pattern to their irrationality. Now, my first thought when I heard that is you can exploit that. You can take advantage of that. And one, the one that mirrors poker so much to me, that is fascinating, is this anecdote, they did, this test they did, not anecdote. They, they, do, uh, they do two different tests. Let me see if I got this right. You're the mayor of a town. There are 600 people in this town. All 600 people under your charge are infected with a virus. The doctors from the government go, you're going to have to decide which serum they take, which antidote they take. One will save 200 people. The other has a one-third chance of saving 600 people and a two-thirds chance of killing all 600. Now, which one do you take? Now, every poker player listening to this sees the rub. The equity is the exact same for both, right? It's 200 people. Well, in this case, though, and they've done this test a number of times, from my understanding, people, when given the opportunity to pocket a win, will pocket a win 80% of the time. They will pick to save 200 people. They will not gamble. Now, they pose other people this question. The same parameters... You have 600 people under your charge in a town. You must decide the antidote. They are infected. Do you, one, kill 400 of them, or two, take a one-third chance of saving all 600 and a two-thirds chance of killing all 600? That's what the second antidote will do. Now, in this case, when people are faced with a certain loss versus the opportunity to gamble for everybody's life, 80% of people will gamble. And if you think about this, this is actually very noble about human nature. It's very noble what, that when there's somebody injured in war, 
behind enemy lines, we don't just pocket the loss, which might be the highest EV decision to make, which would probably be the decision Putin makes, if we're being quite frank about how he plays game theory and politics. But the human nature is actually far more noble than that. It's let's go risk ourselves to go get this brother-in-arms who is wounded. This also makes us incredibly poor as professional gamblers. Because if you look at most databases and you look at how often does somebody call a triple barrel, it is going to mirror this. When faced with a certain loss of the pre-flop, flop, and turn bet or a possible gamble to save all of it and more and get something from it, 75-80% of people will call on the river. Everything I do at the beginning is to get people to the river and to take as many of their chips as I possibly can. I play more hands pre-flop because I believe they're slightly ahead of my opponent's range so I can get them to the river and I can take their chips. That is what I'm doing. I'm always angling to get to that river. I will do every dirty trick in the book to get to that river. I will do under bets. I will do weird bets because I know most people aren't going to raise me. Now, when you get deep in the tournament, you should have been getting them at the beginning. You should have been getting their chips at the beginning. You should have been awake in early stages and had the money from those early stages to middle stages that you parlayed for additional maneuverability in the middle stages to have a bunch of chips when you get deep in the tournament. If you are going, I have a short stack, there's nothing I can do, I'm waiting for my spots, you missed your move four moves ago. Now, if you are in that situation, as we all are, because there is never going to be a tournament you ever play in your life where you are not faced with a time where you have to angle with, uh, and I don't mean angle by cheap, but I mean you're going to have to think clearly and find a new way to take advantage of your opponents. It, if you don't think there's going to be a spot in every tournament you play where you lose a bunch of your chips and you have to figure out something with 15 to 50 big blinds, you are wrong. It always happens. You must be prepared for it. Nobody goes wire to wire. If it was so common for people to go wire to wire, we wouldn't have a term for it. We have a term wire to wire because it is so odd when it happens. But when you do get that deep, now you're not looking for the river. You're not looking to eke out value. You're looking to wrap up the hand quickly. So I'll give you an example, which is a guy, let's say you're on the button, and the guy to your right, uh, the guy to your right on the cutoff is opening everything, right? Just like everything. Every time he gets folded to the cutoff, he opens. Now, he opens for 2.5K, and you have 35X on the button. He opens for 2.5 big blinds. You have ace-nine offsuit. You have, let's say, 35x. What's your three bet there? Most people will say 6x, 6x, 6.25x. But that, that's, that's what you should be doing when you're trying to get the guy to the river, where with 100 big blind stacks, you, you're getting 20 or 40 big blinds out of the guy on the river. That's not going to happen here. What's going to happen is you guys are going to get to the flop. You're going to see Ben if he calls you there. You're stuck. You have to jam the turn. You're not going to jam the turn enough. It's going to be very difficult to determine what he's doing on the flop. Did he call you with ace high? Did he fold ace high? If you don't know the answer to this question, don't worry, because most people don't. Now, if they make it 2.5x there, and you make it 7.75x, what you're risking is actually not much different. You went from your bet's efficacy went from, like, 60, it went from 58% to 64%. The last time I did this, I saw this. Let's say it's 66. It's still not that much of a bump. But if the guy's opening any unsuited ace, the guy's opening any suited gapper down to 6-4 suited, if the guy's opening any unsuited Broadway and even some like 10-9 offsuits, Jack-9 offsuits, whatnot, and now he's faced with a possibility of, I cannot flat this out of position, I will look stupid at these stacks. You could even go up to 8x to accomplish this. 
if he's faced with the proposition of I must move all in or I must fold, and he is facing a huge re-raise, which the last 99 times he's seen that has been ace-queen, ace-king, tens, jacks, queens that just did not want did not want to get cracked, right? Well, then what happens is the guy might fold ace-jack. The guy might fold sixes. The guy might fold sevens. He might. He probably won't, but he might. But if he might fold those hands, a lot of times, he fo- almost always he folds ace-ten, he folds fives. And if he's folding that, it means he's folding 75 80% of the hands he just opened. And when was the last time, if you're worried about the small blind and big blind, when was the last time you four bet semi-block? When was the last time you thought, oh, that 3.2x three bet looks really light. I better jam over it with queen 10 suited. When was the last time you did that? They're not going to come in with more than five, 6% of their hands. Most of the time you win this pot. And when you win this pot, you pocket five big blinds. Five big blinds doesn't look like a much. That's 500 big blinds per hundred. That is what pocket kings makes. You put two of those together, you increase your chip stack by 10 big blinds. That's 20, 25% of your stack. Not every big blind is created equally. You want to wrap it up, get it done, when you're rocking 30, 40, 50 big blinds. This is why... I'm a big advocate of the larger raise sizes. If you raise to 3.5x and everybody folds with the blinds and A's, that's 2.5x. That's 250 big blinds per 100. That's the equivalent of ace-king. That's what ace-king makes. You've just fabricated an ace-king. You just did it. You put a couple of those together. You put two of those together with one three-bet. You got 10x. Boom. You're going further in this tournament. This is all I ever do. When I was playing... I was playing WPT Prague. I looked around with the Final 40. I've had this happen a few times. I went, I can't outplay one of these guys. Like, these guys all clearly play 10, 20. Uh, you know, just like Russian super geniuses. Probably just out of the Soviet school. Speaks five languages and plays concert piano. I'm not looking so hot. <laughs> right? But I do these big raises, and then the guy has to four-bet all in and kind of look like a goofball with ace-nine if he doubts me. Most of the time... I try to play up like, you know, faded old live pro. I, I'm really good at that. I mean, if you guys have heard me misspeak on this one outer podcast 30 or 40 times, I, I really have the jaded old pro thing going on, right? Trying to make sure my hair is sticking up a little bit, you know? And uh, people just go, I'll, I'll pass on this ace nine, boom. 75% of their hands, they folded. And you just ratchet it up. That's what I think. Pe- but people don't want to do this because... Yeah, you get caught. Once in a while you get caught, you flame out. And people go, that's not fair. It might not be till next month I'm in this again or another six months. Yeah, that, that's tournament poker. That's why I don't do this for a living anymore. That's a very difficult way to make your profession. That's very di- uh, that, To make your living, that's very difficult. You have to accept that what might optimize your ability to go deep is also really likely to undo you. And that is why online poker is such a gift. Before, we would have to go to Everett or go to a couple cities over to go play a tournament. It'd be 22 people, and they didn't have a ton of time, so they'd really ratchet up the level times, and nobody got to try anything. Now you don't have that. You can play 8, 10, 12 of them at a time. Enjoy it. Just pretend like you went to go see a movie. It's always a different experience. Gambling is fun, and I want you to enjoy it. Good luck to you. And I think we have to wrap up there today, Barry. Yeah, I was just about to say. Um, Alex, thanks very much for taking the time to answer those questions. Thanks to those who took the time to write in. Also, keep your questions coming in for Alex. Questions at com, and we will get them read on a future show. Alex, how can people get in touch with you, join your newsletter, etc.? Sign up for my newsletter at PokerAdRush.com. Uh, that's my for fun blog if you guys want to check that out. Uh, follow me on Twitter at the Assassino. Write me at Alex at PokerHeadRush.com. Okay. Until next week, I'm off to inhale menthol crystals. 
crystal, crystal mental habit. That's why I've got. It's working. It's the only thing that gives me a little bit of relief on these sinuses. So, uh, Alex, will you be in your new place in Queens by next episode? Or oh yeah, nope. Uh, uh, t- couple more weeks. Okay. So a couple more weeks for the gremlins in the radiator and then uh, Alex will be in his new place and we will see what's there. I'm sure something will follow him there. It's maybe some poltergeist that really, uh, you know, like following you. You know, you don't want a television on, you'll get sucked into it. You know? um, anyway, thanks again, Alex, and we will see you next Thursday. Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. The OSS Cubed is back from February 25th to March 25th. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, February 25th, and it's bringing to the table over $15 million in guarantees over four weeks. Yep, that's $15 million, our most exciting endeavor yet, with three massive main events. We're talking three consecutive tourney series, and it all starts with Moss, our mini online super series, beginning February 25th. Then, on March 5th, our flagship OSS, that's Online Super Series, drops. And on March 19th, The Boss, the bigger Online Super Series. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. And with the weekly Million Dollar Sunday Tournament, it's something you can't afford to miss. Moss, OSS, or Boss? Whether you choose one or all, this is absolutely huge, and it's waiting for you at America's Card Room.